Welcome to the TESFE podcast with me, Sarah Simons. My guest reviewer this week is Hilary Nunns. Hi, Hilary. Good morning, Sarah. Please, can you tell us all about what you get up to in the world of FE? I've been teaching in the FE world for a number of years. I started teaching quite young, um, left FE for a while to go into corporate training at a large international management accounting firm and then came back into FE when I had my children. I teach business in IT and in my latter years, I worked very much in additional learning support. Yeah. So I used to manage a team of learning support assistants. Um, I had teaching remission in order to fulfil those duties. But now I work as a freelance trainer. So I go to lots of colleges all around the UK talking to them about behaviour management in class, ADHD, self-esteem, mental health and things like that. So that's what I do now and I I thoroughly enjoy it. So you've done all sorts. Right, are you ready to whip through the pages of this week's TES? I am indeed, yeah. Fab. So we've got the editorial from my current editor, Julia Belgatai. And it's a kind of an overview, getting ready for the next piece, which is about parity of esteem to do with T-levels and A-levels. Basically, the unis aren't playing as yet. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking with T-levels. I go back to the days when there was a two-tier system and people who weren't particularly academically brilliant could still do really well in other areas because they could show their talents in a different way and I know that we don't have a two-tier system in school anymore not really the t-levels to say that people who are technically brilliant or you know good with their hands could not make it through to a university it seems so wrong to me and if you can prove yourself with your skills and your technical ability then why not go on to study at a higher level and I think it should be recognized that people can achieve so much when they're given the opportunity. Yeah, I'm finding myself quite conflicted with all of this. In Julia's editorial, it says that the new T-levels would put technical education on a par with other routes to employment, Skills Minister Anne Milton said only last October. They're meant to be equal, aren't they? But as we go into the bigger piece, um, which is written by Jonathan Owen, it seems that some universities are saying that they'll accept T-levels instead of A-levels, so they are on a par, and others are saying, well, we don't know enough about it yet, and some are saying, no, we're not going to do that because there might be more academic preparation needed to do a degree, which may or may not be in the T-levels. Yes, I get that, and I think there is also a section about many places are accepting a BTEC qualification, which is a similar model, really, isn't it? Where yeah. you can get you can get UCAS points, which can add up to be enough to, credibility to get you onto a degree course somewhere. For people to close their minds to it completely seems rather a shame, and it, it means that people are going to be disadvantaged because of that. Yeah, I really believe that there there are some level three BTEC qualifiers who are outstanding, but they've chosen that route because it suits them to do it that way. Yeah. A spokesperson for Imperial College London says, we need to ensure that the students are academically able to cope with the rigours of an Imperial degree. 
We do not believe that T-levels provide a suitable preparation for students. University College London, they're saying at present UCL does not accept the new T-level qualification for entry to its undergraduate programmes. In general, we do not consider technical qualifications as sufficient preparation for academic study at UCL. So that's what they're saying. Universities of Glasgow, Leeds and Sheffield have indicated that they would accept T-levels in principle on a case-by-case basis. Yeah. Basically, they need more info before they'll commit. Which I think is fair enough as mm. well. And but I think to close your mind to it straight away may not be right. There's a bit at the bottom of the, this consideration column, which says that certain courses, such as engineering, it's likely that an A-level in maths would also be needed. And that's because you need the technical ability, the mathematical ability, pure maths, in that environment. But that doesn't mean to say that you you don't have that ability. It just means you haven't got it yet. <laughs> just to give a bit of background about T-levels, the creation of T-levels announced last year is part of a package of reforms on technical education recommended by Independent Panel on a Technical Education chaired by Lord Sainsbury. So that was the Sainsbury review, wasn't it? Yeah. 11 T-levels are being created. The first three, Digital, Construction and Education and Childcare, are expected to start in 2020. T-levels in legal, finance and accounting, engineering and manufacturing and health and science are due to begin in 2021, followed by ones in hair and beauty, agriculture, environment and animal care, business and administrative, catering and hospitality and creative and design in 2022. They're on the way. They're happening. Yeah. So there needs to be some sort of decision, doesn't there? Do you think it's to do with collaboration in how the qualifications are put together? Possibly. I mean, it needs it needs some input from all sides. Mm. That it, it is about mm. saying, I've got a level three qualification and it is equivalent to an A level. And let, let me prove it to you, you know, because I've done it this way because it suits the way I like to study as opposed to the traditional A-level route, the academic route. I think they're brilliant, but I've always been a big champion of this kind of of learning, simply because it would have suited me far better at that age. And when you look at the topics, legal finance and accounting, engineering and manufacturing, they're brilliant. They are a really good stepping stone to the next stage. Do you know, the more we talk about this, the more I'm seeing parallels, and it may be unfounded, between functional skills and GCSE. You know, our T-level is going to be the new functional skills where we're trying and trying and trying to give them a parity, but recognising that it's a different and some would say more useful set of skills. And it's getting through, but it's taking a while. It is taking a while, and I don't know why, because it's it's been the same since the 70s. When I left school, gosh, I'm showing my age now. The You're only 27, is... though, aren't you, Hilary? <laughs> I was last time I looked. Yeah. I thought but, so. you know, you could get... The two-tier system worked really well because you could get an O-level or you could get a CSE, which if you got a grade one CSE, it was equivalent to a C in an O-level, okay? And uh, for me personally, I never got along with pure maths, and so I was able to take a CSE in maths, which was more commercial. Now, I'm standing at it now all those years later looking at functional maths, and GCSE maths and saying, well, this is exactly the model that I had when I was at school. And it meant that I could come away with my CSE grade one and it was useful. People understood the level I was working at and the type of maths that I had a good understanding of. Does that make sense? I think 
T-levels is that, and I think that functional skills is that as well. Well, whatever the decisions are, they need to crack on if it's starting in 2020, because that seemed like a long way away, and it's not. No, 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 not at all, no. Right, shall we move on to the next one? This is... David Blunkett and Alan Tuckett. So that's Lord Blunkett, who was Secretary of State for Education and Employment between 1997 and 2001, and Sir Alan Tuckett, who's Professor of Education at the University of Wolverhampton and has been a massive champion of adult and community learning for donkey's years. They're both absolutely fabulous, I think. I'm a big fan of them. Anyway, they're on about, not so long ago, the UK grasped the importance of lifelong education, but a vision for the future is currently lacking. So this is about looking at a shift in learning culture, almost, in how we see adult learning, and that we need to sort it out. Tricky one, this, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. someone's got to pay for it. Um, well, the way I see it, it is, it is about lifelong learning. I mean, we talk about 16 to 18 and then university, and then maybe you do your master's or whatever, but then... There's many people that aren't going to do that, that they would want new skills, whether it's for leisure, for promotion, for just upskilling for their personal development. It's a very difficult one because I think I can look back. I used to teach evening classes to adults when my children were small. It was IT. It was in the days when in the birth of the Internet <laughs> and you know, everybody wanted to clamber on and find out about this thing, you know. Yeah. And um, But they had to fund themselves to do it, for the most part. And then there were kind of the job centre ones, Job Centre Plus, where you could get to, to back-to-work skills and things like that. And I believe that these are still very credible and um, ought to be available for everybody, the family learning, etc., to upskill maybe parents who, who um, didn't do well themselves at school but they've got children now and they want to help them with their literacy i mean there's so many plus factors for it yeah i quite like the bit in this article about the laundrettes for learning in south korea yeah this is um, brilliant isn't it yeah. it kind of demonstrates the the shift in culture that we would perhaps need nowhere rec- recognizes this better than the city of suwon south korea where everyone lives within 10 minutes of a library and 20 minutes of learning center Laundrettes, coffee shops and factory canteens all double up as centres for lifelong learning. Businesses, the voluntary sector and education providers work together to foster a learning culture. And that's perhaps it, isn't it? Working together. Yeah. But I mean, I've been to South Korea and I've worked with a school there. I have to say that they have a very, very stringent approach to learning and not always good, I think. Mm. The kids are bussed in from regions all around. I was in Seoul and they get bussed in very early, picked up at the end of their street, a bit like the American model, taken to school very early, start at eight, finish at four, and then they go on, all of them, I mean, without exception, go on to after-school learning activities, not like a club where they kick a ball about or something like that. And then they get bussed home again very late. Uh, they're doing 12 hours a day from a very young age. But I don't know whether or not that's a good thing. In the piece, they talk about the additional benefits of learning the research that shows the health benefits of adult learning not limited to older people but also the relief of the nhs which is already under severe pressure so there's the the additional health benefits they're talking about the evidence for family learning where adults and women in particular strengthen the literacy and numeracy skills that impact on the children's achievement is direct and positive so it isn't just what's happening 
while the actual learning is taking place. It's all these kind of streams that are flowing outwards from this and affecting people's lives and people's families and people's communities in really, really positive ways. Definitely. And I think it is about role modelling as well. If your parents positively embrace the idea of learning more, it does rub off on in the family, definitely. And also, if it means another entry to employment for adults, then that's even better. Mental health is the big thing, I suppose. If you're feeling like you need to improve yourself in some way, it's a way to step out of yourself, isn't it? When you can go and learn and get absorbed into something that you enjoy. And the social aspects of it as well. So the upshot of this is, you know, they say we need to sort it out. Each of these initiatives is talked about countries such as Switzerland and Austria, as well as South Korea and Singapore. Each of these initiatives has something to offer a revitalised vision. But we need to, to remind ourselves of our own rich traditions of learning our way out of our difficulties. The need to do so is urgent and requires the best of all our thinking. So it's working out a new way to do it. And let's hope someone does and takes the lead properly and gets some shaking up done. But there's so much to shake up at the moment. I think adult learning won't be on the top of the agenda, unfortunately. That's how I see it. Yeah, yeah. Right, let's move on to Tom Stark, eh? his column. <laughs> he's got the Ofsteds in, hasn't he? He's got, <laughs> he's got the HMIs lurking. He's yeah. on about the artifice of inspection. Out, they're not really getting a proper view because everybody's doing the showbiz face, jazz hands, and shoving out the very best of it, which may, you know is brilliant, but it may not be representative of day to day goings on. I expect you've had lots of Ofsted experience in your career. I most certainly have. Some of them good, some of them not so good. Mm. I think the whole process is just so stressful for everybody involved. It rubs off on everybody. It's infectious. The whole team throughout the college is on red alert madness. The real thing for me is to make sure that on a, a regular basis, all staff are peer observed. They get a chance to get proper positive feedback, to get training where they're you know identified weaknesses ask for help when they need it so that their lessons are pretty much as they ought to be i know that's easy to say not easy to do but that's the model we should all be aiming for and in my experience we've always received when i've worked in colleges a huge amount of input on our professional practice leading up to an inspection year Mm. And uh, everyone's very grateful for it. And perhaps we are on our our best show by the time we are inspected. And, you know, new jobs are created. You get teaching and learning coaches. You have lots of different support mechanisms in place. And then as soon as the Ofsted team leave, they drop it all. I mean, I'm not going to name any names. Yeah, you are left back in this vacuum of just, just get on with it. And I know there's no money in the sector at the moment, but I do see what um, Tom is saying in his article is that we've got to polish ourselves up just for this occasion. And it's just so unreal. I mean, I quite often do lesson observations and you have to come in and out. Different classes are different. You're not, what are you judging? You know, that 30 minutes. It's so hard to really be completely accurate on your judgment of a snapshot of of what is actually probably going to be many many more hours with that group with those subjects etc so i think that the the system is a little bit flawed i think it should be more of an ongoing monitoring thing you're looking at outcomes looking at 
various parts of the the process of educating our youngsters. Hey, Hilary, my all-time worst observation, my very first one, teaching functional skills to 16-year-old joiners. And they were, you know, they were were full of fun, shall we say. And it was a three o'clock in the morning, stress out the night before. And it was all, I thought, going to plan. And then a lad got a bit of something wrong. It wasn't anything major um, in a question and answer type situation. And one of the other lads, a hilarious joker, started talking directly to the observer going, do you know, normally she'd pick up that chair and she did sing with her. And he went on and on and on throughout anything that wasn't completely perfect. He'd go, well, you see, usually she'd have pushed us down the stairs by now. I get a sinking feeling just thinking about it. But I know I used to teach a group uh, entry to employment and it was really lots of employability skills and some of it was of talking about behavior and attitude you know and timekeeping etc and um i was observed and we were doing a a session on positive attitudes and i held up this thing and it showed the word attitude if a is one and z is 26 you know that kind of digitalized the letters then attitude adds up to 100 and i was feeling really pleased with myself that i'd found this lovely thing yeah and I put it up on the board and I was saying, look, don't, that's amazing. And I thought I'm doing a, embedding a little bit of literacy and numeracy here. Yeah. And then about five minutes later, this lad put his hand up and he said, miss, miss, I've thought about what you've said about attitude. And I thought, oh, job done, you know. And uh, he said, bullshit, adds up to 102. <laughs> it did work. There was numeracy it literacy. It was, all, it was all going off, wasn't it? <laughs> brilliant oh Hilary it's been lovely speaking to you thanks so much for doing this oh you're very welcome this has been the TESFE podcast with Hilary Nunns and me Sarah Simons join us again soon for all the FE news and views thanks for listening